Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. Unfortunately, today, um, James and Monty won't be joining us because, um, well, Monty's on a work trip. He's abroad. Um, not sure. <laughs> not sure why James couldn't. Um, I, I just got the message that he's not available. So, um yeah, I don't, I don't really delve in, delve any deeper than that. But it's okay. You've got me for a little bit to give you this dose of therapy, which I'm sure you need or you're in the search of. And the reason why we started this podcast is so we can talk about situations like these. When things don't go right, that's when this works really well. That's where we come in. The doctor's been called and we're here on the scene. I'm talking a lot of nonsense. That's because um, I don't really know what I can say to make it feel better. I don't know whether... I should feel good about the fact that we lost 3-1 at Old Trafford because the result does not reflect the performance or the narrative of the game. What the result does, it paints a picture of just that, the result. Arsenal conceded three and we managed to score one. It is a flattering scoreline for Manchester United and for Manchester United fans. And no doubt, it will give them the world of confidence to now go on a really good run. In fact, let's have a look at the games that they've got coming up. You don't want to spend too much time talking about them. Um, but their champ oh their Europa League, I was say Champions League. Their Europa League campaign gets underway as uh as is the same for all the clubs. They've got Palace away, very, very tough. Leeds at home. City, okay, fine. They've got a tough, they've got a, a little bit of a tough run coming up. They've got two derbies followed by a trip to South South London. But look, that, that result, despite not playing very well, beating Arsenal, league leaders, the team that were five wins, no losses, no draws, five out of five, that's going to do them the world of good. They might very well go on to the next three league games, four league games, and win them. Who's to say they were then they're not to get a result uh, at City against Leeds and Palace simply because they know they don't need to play well to get a really good result. <clears throat> and fair enough, if it was a two-one loss. I'd be feeling a little bit better than I am at the minute or than I was um, when I was watching the game. Um, I should note, I'm on the other side of the world right now. So 
Uh, the time difference is a little bit crazy. I watched the game when it was midnight here um, and ended up going to bed at like three because post-match just, you know, couldn't quite, um, yeah, couldn't quite get my head around anything. Um, I didn't have a meltdown this time, so that was nice. I was fairly chill. Um, but again, it's probably why it's probably it's probably because, sorry, I'm away from home and I guess from the environment. Um, but yes, I was away for the last episode um, uh, just before we do go into the game and stuff. I do want to say a massive thank you and a massive shout out to Monty and James for holding it down. Um, I thought the boys did a really good job. And it was very strange to be listening to the pod for the first time as a listener after 104 episodes. Wow. Yeah, that was a weird sort of feeling. But it was nice. It was nice to see what the, the listener kind of experiences from their end. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a bit strange for the next, I guess, two or three episodes maybe because I am away and it is literally in the other side of the world. Yeah, in Indonesia. So, and they have like a seven hour um, difference, seven hour time difference. So right now I'm recording at 10.45 a.m. And in the UK, it is, I think, I should probably get this right. UK time. UK time around is 3.45 a.m. So yeah, bit of a difference. So anyway, I'm going to try really hard to make it for the Europa League game and Everton, which is going to be a super big game now. Super, super big game. Because if only we know historically or at least last season, what can happen when we lose one game? The deck of cards just tumble. Or the house of cards. They just fall. The dominoes collapse. And... Well, we're going to see how much Arsenal have learnt over the last season. This is where we find out what this team are made of. If we haven't already found out um, during the 90 minutes of that game. So, okay, let's start off by talking about the starting lineup. A lot was said about the starting lineup. A lot was debated, <laughs> I think you say. Because we were unsure whether a number of key players were going to be available. Already, we have had a mountain of injuries to deal with. Uh, the transfer window closed and Arsenal failed to sign anyone. I haven't, I haven't said my piece on it. Um, I, did, I did put a little tweet out and I kind of got crucified <laughs> for some of my thoughts. Um, which is fine, you know. I accept that not a lot of people are going to be happy with my stance. Um, you might call it negative. You might call it just how I feel. Whatever you want to decide. I stand by it and I still believe that Arsenal failed in the window because they needed to sign a centre mid at the very beginning. That was the first priority signing. I would say alongside a number nine, a centre mid was absolutely crucial. If only because we learnt what happens when you don't have a competent centre mid last season? At the, back, at the back end of last season, 
in the last 10 games where Party got injured at Palace. We ended up losing five out of those 10. I've mentioned that before. It doesn't take a genius to work out why it's so important to have a competent holding midfielder. Because that is one of the most crucial positions in Arteta's system. Someone who holds that position so well, someone who's so important as a like a, a positional player that fills in that gap, that knows when to move the ball forward, that knows where to be at all times. And we saw what happens when you don't have that player available against United. Two of the goals that we conceded were purely down to that position, not being filled in correctly. And I'm not having a dig at Sambi because I don't think it's Sambi's fault. And I don't think it's it's his time to be playing in such big games and to be expected to perform at such a high level. And that's why Thomas Partey stands above the rest in the Premier League, in my opinion. Um, you know, we, we, we speak about how injury-prone he is and maybe we don't rate him as highly as we once did when he was at Atleti because he was doing all the fancy things and it was clear and obvious to see, you know, running with the ball, being like just this industrial midfielder, which he still is at Arsenal, but it's just a little bit more calculated. It's a little bit more fine-tuned in my opinion. I think the work that he does off the ball is priceless. And that's what wins games. When you when you don't concede or when you're able to limit the opposition in the way that they move the ball, that is when you're most likely to win a football game. Because there's no doubt that we have probably one of the best attacking forces in the league right now. But our Achilles heel is what we do when we lose the ball in key areas or in transition. And again, clear and obvious to see against United. But it was, um, however, refreshing to see Odegaard back. Nice to see Zinchenko back in the starting lineup. Um, and yeah, as far as injuries go, I think it was just mainly those two that we were worried about. Tomiyasu, Vieira, um, Smith-Rowe, Tierney, Inketia, all on the bench. I was fairly happy with that starting lineup. Other than Sambi, which we can't do anything about now, everything else was good. And uh, did I finish my rant on the January, sorry, on the transfer window and why Arsenal failed before we move on? I feel like I just haven't got it off my chest yet. Um, look, I got a lot of I got a lot of stick for what I said about Arsenal failing in the transfer window. And here's basically what I said. It was, in other words, let me just try and pull it up so I can quote myself correctly. Um, right. In other words, I said, the squad we have isn't capable of competing on all four fronts. Arsenal will need to rely on luck to pull out two wins every week. Disappointed isn't even the word. It sounds very harsh, but that is the reality of the situation. Arsenal don't have a fully competent squad. They don't. We can't compete on a Thursday and on a Sunday at a high level because we don't have enough rotation and enough quality in rotation. You know, we often refer to the Europa League as games for the B team. I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't think FC Zurich is going to be as easy as people make it out, out to be. PSV Eindhoven definitely isn't. 
and Boda Glint Glimped. We've seen what they've done. Um, well, I haven't anyway, but we know the results that they managed to pull out against teams like Roma. And so they will need to rely on quality personnel. And I don't know if Arsenal have that. They're close to it. Certainly, if they signed a central midfielder and a winger, they would have had that. But they don't. And when he's out for a long term, on a long term injury, and part A, who knows when he's going to be back? We're not even sure, or are we sure, of the type of injury? I don't know. Is it calf? Let's have a look. Um, I should have done my homework before coming on. This isn't good. But we know it could be weeks. Maybe. Maybe weeks. And it doesn't fill me with a whole lot of confidence that when he does come back, he's going to need to be eased back and not put back. Um, Like the way he's previously been put out. So anyway, I think I've I think I've done my rant on the on the window. Arsenal just failed, basically. They failed to bring in a central midfielder because we needed one. God knows we needed one. And it's evident from that game that we needed one. But Kyra Saka is on the verge of being injured. Fact. And um Marquinhos shouldn't be in on the bench. He shouldn't be he shouldn't I mean, the kid's 19 years old. I get it. We've seen it before with Martinelli, but your Martinelli's don't come around every day. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being ultra conservative. Maybe I need to be a little bit more optimistic and less pessimistic. But this only comes down to what I've been led to believe previously and what we've what what we've actually seen happen so this could be another player that Arsenal um, push too early and stunt their growth and then they end up being mediocre players but anyways back to the United game Um, the team lineup I was happy with I didn't really look at United's team line up until the game was just about to begin and then realised Anthony was starting on his home debut. You had Sancho, Rashford, Fernandez, McTominay, Eriksson. Um, back four was quite interesting. I knew Dallow and uh, Malaysia? Malasia? <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his name. Malasia. Terrell, Malasia. I didn't know... Sorry, I did know that they were going to be United's weak points. And I was fairly confident looking at that. It is it is a strong lineup. There's quality there. But I know that this United team is as jammy as Spurs are this season. They're not good at playing football. And they're up against a team who are very good at playing football. So those are my thoughts before the game. I thought that Arsenal could come out of this with a victory. Obviously ended up not getting that victory. Um, made a whole load of notes to talk about, actually. Picked up a, a lot of analysis 
during the game. And so let's start with the first 10 minutes. The first minute for me felt a bit panicky for Arsenal. Uh, United started really strongly. It was like they were playing a derby. And, and I think this will be the differentiating factor for this season. They will turn up at big games. They will pull out results against the big teams. But unfortunately, I think it will be the small teams that they underestimate and end up dropping points because they won't turn up with the kind of tenacity um, and just the just the overall tempo, which was great in in that first 10 minutes against us. Piling on the pressure. Um, I think in the first minute, Dallo started dribbling through two or three players wide into the box. And we just looked really uncomfortable, especially at the back. First signs for me that show that when teams are really up for it, Arsenal are still unable to compose themselves well enough to at least look calm. You can be nervous. You can be a bit jittery. You know, the opposition is allowed to dominate parts of the game because that's just the way the game works. For 90 minutes, unless you're a superhuman, it's very unlikely that you're going to be dominating a full 90-minute game. But at least look a little bit more structured, sturdy, composed and calm. But again, just that 5-10 minute spell looking really jittery and, you know, just scrambling balls out of the box, which made United even more up for it because they knew that Arsenal weren't starting the game off on a confident front. Um, but yeah, they look really eager from the first ball, from the, for the first from the first minute, playing with a really um, sort of high intense... Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? God, I wish James was here. He always helps me out when I'm having these moments. Um, yeah, but they're playing with, uh, uh, you know, high intensity, winning the loose balls, winning all the 50-50s, um, passing comfortably around the pitch as well, which is which is um, weird to see. And they get their first chance very early on with Ericsson hitting a first-time volley from a, from a cross that was brilliantly put in by Dallo. Um, and he was nicely set up by Anthony, who was the showman. And he seems like he will be the Premier League's kind of next or new um, showman after Ronaldo, which is a bit fitting to see when, you know, he comes off for Ronaldo and actually probably taking his position now on the pitch. So he looks like a really good player, to be honest. He looks like he, he's got bags of confidence, takes on players quite easily. Maybe he's a little bit too overconfident, but he, he's, he looks like the type of player that you won't be able to knock him off or put him off his confidence. Like if he misses a sitter or if he takes a few shots and it doesn't work out, he could just go again. And yeah, so we saw that, you know, in the first opening 10 minutes. Uh, United confident, bullying Arsenal physically as well, which was strange to see because I associate Arsenal, especially in the last five games, with someone, well, sorry, sorry, with a team who are very, very physical, very, very confident that they can beat anyone um, physically on the pitch anyway from, from what we've seen. Um, but this time it was United, especially with like the likes of McTominay and Varane, we're going to talk about Varane, um, and we are going to talk about the officiating. That's what we're going to do, because I don't care whether you feel like it doesn't matter. It does. I'm sorry, it does. Officiating, and when a referee or 
when VAR um, overcompensates for the other team, it makes a difference. It ruins the momentum of the game and it puts off uh, the team who aren't getting any of the decisions. But we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that. Whether you disagree with me or, or disagree or agree with me, um, we can we can talk about it. Uh, Saliba has a magnificent effort in the first ten minutes. Brilliant effort with the ball coming straight into his feet on the penalty spot, and he scuffs it. He scuffs the shot from someone who put that brilliant, like made, uh, scored that brilliant goal with like a almost like a curling effort um, a few matches ago to missing out on a really good chance. That was a really good... And whether you're a centre-back or not, you need to try and put your laces through those. You know, you need to try and make a clean contact. Um, but he doesn't. And, however, it is sort of the beginning of the turn of the wave. The turn of the... Is that the right saying? I wish James was here. Um. Anyway, it is a... What? Did you say something? Oh. For you are helping me out. I thought the wife was helping me out, but she isn't. Um, it is the beginning of the momentum kind of changing directions, for one of a better term. Um, but yeah, in that first ten minutes, United confident on both flanks, being able to switch play between both flanks as well easily. Arsenal sitting off, making it easy, not really physical, not really intense. Um, and then all of a sudden it goes from zero to a hundred, like real quick. I know, shameful of me to be quoting Drake in 2022, but let's have a look at this goal, uh, this disallowed goal as well. We're going to talk about this disallowed goal because it's interesting, the decisions and, um, some of the VAR, I guess, calls it's the same thing for Han, isn't it? It's still a decision. I know I don't want to use the word decision twice in a sentence, but I'm going to have to. Some of the decisions, including the VAR decisions, were very, very, very um I'm looking for the right word here again. I can't find I can't find the word. I know you guys know what the word is, but I can't find the word. What's the word? What's the word when you say something is when a decision is made, but it's really, um, you know, when 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 someone makes a decision, but it's not agreed on, it's very controversial, isn't it? That's the word. It's controversial. Wow, I can't believe after a hundred and five episodes, I'm still struggling to find the right words. Basic English, unbelievable. Anyways, um. Decisions have been very controversial, made by VAR. And this is one of them, I think. Less controversial than some of the other ones, like the ones against West Ham and Newcastle. But nonetheless, it is a controversial one. It's a brilliant take from Odegaard. This is where it starts, and this is where the controversy lies. Controversy lies. Odegaard puts Ericsson under pressure. Ericsson takes a little bit too long than he should do with that ball. 
He shouldn't be holding that ball for as long as he is. And we've seen it time and time again. Players do this. Players hold on to the ball for far too long. And then what often happens, someone will sneak up behind you and will steal that ball away from you. In this case, there was physical contact made. As there always is when a player steals the ball off another player. However, it is it is a 50-50. It's a very, very harsh and, un, well, if it goes for you, great. If it doesn't, it's harsh. And in this case, it didn't go for us. And I see it as quite a harsh decision. Albeit maybe the right decision. Like I can see uh, arguments and cases for both sides. The fact that he makes contacts with Ericsson, who goes down easy. But when there's a player behind you and they are about to steal the ball, um, you're bound to, you know, it's it's bound to be surprising, and that surprise element will probably force you to fall over. Um, I don't know. If you look at the clip closely, right, you can see that Odegaard does make contact with him, but. Ericsson still has control of the ball. So, and Odegaard was spot on when he said, I thought the Premier League was supposed to be all about physicality and it was supposed to be the best league in the world. If you're going to give decisions like this, if you're going to stop the, the momentum of the game by giving decisions to the opposition like this, then there can't be any element of physicality. There can't be any element of, um, you know, competition to win the ball. You're just going to have to be patient or you're going to have to be 100% certain that you're going to make contact with the ball. And that's the problem that I have with this decision. It goes against everything that fans want in the Premier League. Fans want for the games to be more free-flowing. For the game to be allowed to just be played at this intense level. Because for a neutral, this was a brilliant game of football. Both teams really going at it. But it's moments like these that ruin it. If it was for United, I'd be really happy that they weren't given the decision. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan. But if I was watching this as a neutral, I'd think that's really harsh. And the fact that the referee had to look at it two or three times. Um, again, you, you know, this is this is another problem that I have with VAR. You can you can see you can see something the first time, and your gut will give you the right instinct. But then you watch that clip over and over again, and you're bound to find something that you don't like the look of. Um, and I just feel like this challenge was more about the way Odegaard was just physically more dominant than Ericsson rather than a clear-cut foul. There wasn't any malice. There wasn't any foul play. There wasn't any real... Um, I don't know. I just got the impression that Odegaard was playing to get the ball and in doing so, 
that pressure that Ericsson felt was a bit too much. It was a bit overwe- over overwhelming, overbearing. And he couldn't help but just fall under that pressure. Anyway, he loses the ball. The ball is then fed absolutely beautifully. Um by who's that there? I'm not sure. I think that might be Saka. A peach of a ball to Gab uh Gabby Martinelli. He positions he positions himself wonderfully. Gets himself in front of Dallow, who's got no choice. He's got no choice now. You either back off or you commit a foul. He doesn't make the foul. He sort of backs off, gives Martinelli the space and the time to comfortably slot that ball over um, De Gea's shoulder and into the back of the net. And Arsenal are back in the game. But it's just so unfortunate that that decision was gone against us so harsh um, but look I'm not going to complain too much about that decision like I said it is a 50-50 it goes for you great if it doesn't harsh um, but that was the turning point you know Arsenal really get back into the game after that um, and I'm beginning I, I begin to see certain patterns on play and certain players who are beginning to grow in confidence. But one player who found it really hard in that first 15 minutes was Sambi Lakonga. Um, I think he found it really difficult to handle the pressure of the occasion. I think his first touches were quite sloppy. He moved out of position a lot at the time. And if you want to find out what part A does really well, you watch that game and you watch Sambi Lakonga. Hiding in between players, making the simple passes. That position requires you to go above and beyond. It requires you to be brave and bold, to take the risks. If you pick up the ball, you need to make the passes that no one else will. And if you're a quality player, those passes pay off. They come off. If you're a quality player, you make yourself readily available. If we don't have position, possession, sorry, you position yourself in a way where there isn't, you lock off any gaps in midfield. You make it difficult for the opposition to find or to feed the ball through your zone. Sambi didn't do that. Sambi was, for me, trying to figure out what he should be doing that didn't put him in the limelight. Um, but regardless, we still played really well, despite not having um, an efficient central midfielder. Since the disallowed goal, we found a lot of momentum. We were seeing a lot of ball. United were well-structured, out of possession. Um, because they were nullifying the threats that were going forward. There was a moment where Saka makes a brilliant run, beats Malassia, puts a great low ball into the box, but it's cleared. Um, and it was pretty much like this until the end of the uh, first half. Um, there was a moment where Saka was fouled in the box by Martinez. Not given. No surprise. Sambi very lucky not to be given a yellow or red card after scraping studs on Bruno. That was a very lucky decision. Had the ref seen that, maybe he would be playing with uh, 10 men. But the player that I have, or that I had a lot of issue with, was Rafael Varane, who I thought had a very tough afternoon trying to keep Jesus quiet. 
pulls pulls his shirt at least two or three times in that first half. Um, through the aerial duels, which Jesus wins all of pretty much. Ref doesn't give anything. Pulls back free kicks for free quick for, for free kicks, sorry. But no yellow card, no booking. If a player is booked, he knows he needs to be more careful when it comes to these like duels, these one-on-one duels or these aerial battles. Nothing is given. Um, but the tempo of, of our passing is, is is getting really good and quick. We, we're finally seeing the confident Arsenal that we've been seeing all season. Flowing football, nice interchanging passes with combinations, um, playing all around the pitch, you know, making um, United run rings. Sorry, running rings around United. Nice rhythm. And United backing off because they can see that Arsenal are a little bit more dangerous. Uh, Martinelli has a fantastic header, which is pushed out by De Gea. And before that, there was a period of real top-class passing. Really good combination passing between Odegaard, Saka, White and Jesus. And again, another player that really stood out for me was Martin Odegaard, who was at the centre point of everything that was really good and nice about our attacking football. But there were some really frustrating things about Odegaard as well, which I'll come to. One of them being never shooting. I don't know what this guy has an issue with shooting, but it's allowed in the game, Martin. It's allowed. You're allowed to shoot. When you get the ball, when you're in a dangerous area, when you can see the goal, you can see an opening, whip that ball. Whip the lever off your boot. Get that to curl in one of the top corners. You can do it. You're one of the most technical, gifted players on the pitch. Why do you feel like you can't do it? There is this mental block because I've seen it happen far too many times. He doesn't want to shoot. It's either that or he's just been programmed to pass. He's a master. We know that he's a master of passing and he's a master of creating space and creating real attacking flow and momentum. But he doesn't like shooting. He's put through in the box by Saka brilliantly and then decides not to shoot. Instead, Tries to do this really stupid back kind of pass. Gets uh, closed down by two United players. Very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. Um, and there were, you know, more occasions as well where maybe he could put Jesus through in goal instead of pushing out wide. We'll come to those. But, um, yeah, we're playing some really good football and then all of a sudden, goal. United score. Anthony scores for United on his debut after we basically stop defending. Um, and this is the goal that really epitomises the importance of the central midfielder at Arsenal. It is not what he does with the ball. It is what he does and what he gives without the ball. The extra body to fill in that gap in the middle is so important because it slows down the, uh, the attacking move of the opposition. It slows down their approach to moving forward. They know they cannot put a ball straight through the middle because there is somebody there. Somebody competent enough to pick that pass off and then to pose a counter-attack. And so what Arsenal have been really good at is they've been able to nullify teams um, who have to build up slowly. We can pick them off as soon as they get into our box. We can get structured, get organised by the time they get 
in, sorry, I meant in a half. We can we can get um, structured and organised by the time they get into our box. But in moments like this, when you don't have a central midfielder, when a single pass rips through the heart of your midfield, it's really difficult for, to react. It's really difficult for a defence to find themselves. And that's what happened. It's exactly what happened for this goal. And we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. So let's skip all of this nonsense on the highlights. Okay, here we go. So, first mistake, Sambi overcommits. Sambi makes this weird, ambitious run into United's half. He's trying to chase down Ericsson. I don't know why he feels the need to do that. There is nothing going on in that moment of time. United are passing the ball around. They're trying to build something to pose their to pose their next attacking move. You don't need to be there. You need to be in your position. You need to make sure you've covered your area. But he doesn't. And because he doesn't, one pass, a single pass, is fed through um, the middle puts Bruno in, okay? Gabriel has, I don't know, I don't know whether he has a choice. I, don't, I feel like he doesn't really have a choice because if you leave Bruno to then dart forward, he's going to slot somebody in. I guess maybe that is the option you should have taken because there's less of a threat um, than you making that stupid darting, like, move forward and then putting in a ridiculous sliding tackle. Uh, that's a yellow card offence. And I don't know why he stops. Gabriel, stop. Stopping. <laughs> when the football is being played, carry on until the ref blows his whistle. You stop moving. You look at the ref. You protest for no reason. The ref um, plays the advantage. And then, you know, you're you're nowhere to be seen, my friend. You're nowhere to be seen. But anyway, maybe he was never going to get back there anyway. But it's the fact that he stops. He doesn't really know what to do. United have the ball. We're basically a man down at that time. Um, Sancho plays a lovely pass into Rashford, who picks out uh, the new boy, Anthony. I've always had an issue with our left backs because our left backs just find it really difficult to, to defend. I think off the ball, they have a real struggle to um, position themselves defensively. Zinchenko's a great player going forward, no doubt. He had so much quality. But it's moments like this that just really get under my skin. He should never have this much space, ever. Never, ever, ever. Not sure why Zinchenko decides to go forward when Saliba's there. Not sure at all. But he does. And Anthony finishes the ball. Bottom left-hand corner, really good finish. Lovely finish. And United are one it up. From nothing. From literally nothing. And we hear it all the time from Arteta. It's, it's a game of fine margins. And that's it, really. That goal there is fine margins. Not having your players in the right positions. Fine margins. Too easy. It's too easy for United. At elite level, you can't. 
You just can't. You can't switch off. You can't make the wrong decision for a split second because that's what could happen. Um, but regardless, we're still continuing to play, you know, really high quality football, short, simple passes between Saka, Odegaard and Shaka. Again, all three of them for me stood out in that first half, the front four putting in a really high intense performance to get back into the game. United happy to sit back and defend really. And um, we could have got something back before halftime, but we didn't, unfortunately. Um, so halftime, United are one nil up. I'm feeling quite confident still. Because I know if we perform like that in the second half, we're getting something out of the game. In fact, we're taking all three points. Um, second half, Arsenal open it perfectly. First few minutes, starting really quick, seeing the ball, getting the ball deep into United's half on a number of occasions. United pretty pretty happy to see it off as well. Jesus, um, I noticed that Jesus dropped deep to collect the ball, um, which has helped a lot to, to, to make the football more fluid. And I guess that's what Partey does. When he picks up the ball, he often plays it into the right areas or he'll advance and then he'll play the pass forward. And so what Jesus was forced to do was push deep, or sorry, sit, uh, come back deep, pick up the ball, move it forward, and then move back to his position. And again, it just made us look a lot more fluid. Um, Odegaard misses an absolute sitter. Jesus puts the ball into... And maybe this is why he doesn't like shooting. Because he can't. And if that's the case, bro, you need to start practicing your shooting on the training pitch. You're great at everything else. Just start shooting more. Um, but he, he gets put, put through on goal brilliantly by Odegaard. Sorry, by Jesus. Into the box. After getting the better of Martinez. And then he just scuffs it. Just really bad. Really, really bad. Uh, second ball comes into Saka, who drags the shot just wide. Um, more lovely football just being played by Arsenal. Ramsdale playing out from the back. You know, uh, I think it was Odegaard in the in the build-up play. White as well. Jesus, Saka. Um, I think it, was a, it ends with a deep cross coming in from Saka, which hits the crossbar. Really surprised to see Anthony come off for Ronaldo, but Ronaldo made all the difference in the world for them. I think he was one of the primary reasons why Arsenal capitulated because his work off the ball, his intensity and the pressure that he was putting the, the back four under was the difference maker. But we managed to come back into the game. A goal on the hour mark, Saka slots the ball into an open net. Let's talk about it. Let's watch this goal and let's analyse why this is a beautiful goal. Um, nope, this is not what I want to watch. Yeah, that was a beautiful, beautifully played. This is what I was talking about. The um, Ramsdale, sorry, the the, the crossbar attempt. Um, okay, let's let's stop digressing. Yes, this is the goal. Okay. Right, so, um, continuing to press forward, and we managed to get really fortunate with, well, a little bit fortunate, but the football was delightful. Odegaard, once again, in the midst of it, plays a really, really lovely ball. 
Um, playing the ball quickly to Odegaard, who plays it and slots it into Jesus, who puts Martinez under pressure. And I don't know who touches the ball. I think it's Martinez that makes the... Yeah, Martinez making the last ditch attempt to get the ball out. Plays it into the foot of Saka. Slots it in. 1-1. What I really like about this goal is how quickly we react when we're not in position. In possession, sorry. And this is what I've loved about the way Arteta's drilled this squad. Is that when you don't have the ball, get the ball back. And the first thing that they do is they put Varane under incredible pressure. There's like three of them. They manage to force an error out of him. They play the ball, or Shaka plays the ball straight to Odegaard, slots it through the middle, finds um, Jesus, who does really well, to stand off, forces Martinez to play the ball to Saka, and then we're back in the game. Back in the game. And from that point onwards, it's... It's Arsenal's game to win. You can feel the momentum on our side. You know there's only one team here to, to, to take all three points, and it's us. And so where does it all go wrong? Um, well, I think there's two reasons why we lost this game. Number one, the substitutions were wrong. We made the wrong changes. We shouldn't have made any changes. We did perfectly well. Momentum was on our side. But we decide to make the changes and the tempo of the game just drops. You know, I, 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 know, I know Arteta says in the press conference that he doesn't think those uh, subs made much of a difference because there was only like 30 seconds or whatever. I don't know how long um, after Arsenal make the changes before uh, United score. But... Um, in fact, United score... Oh, no, I'm talking about the third goal. Back on track, Farhan. Get back on track. The second goal that we concede, we concede. So this is the second reason why I think we lost the game. First reason, wrong subs. Second reason, we overcommit. Game management is not there yet for Arteta. This game was lost on the fact and on the basis of not being able to manage the game properly and make the right tactical decisions. And none of us would have been able to see this coming, in my opinion. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Makes you think twice. Makes you look back. Makes you wish you made uh, another decision. But I don't know. I don't know if any of us would have been able to foresee that. Arsenal clearly had all the momentum in the game. We were seeing more of the ball. United looked like they were capitulating. So why not take it to them whilst they're kind of faltering so I understand why um Arteta wanted to go all out you know play that ultra high line really give it to them but we did not factor in what would happen if we lost the ball in key areas if United managed to get someone in behind we didn't factor that in and that's the that's the difference maker between a top coach and an elite coach. An elite coach only manages to become an elite coach when he has those experiences. He learns it from them. Arteta, unfortunately, is too early in his career to know what to do in certain moments of games because he doesn't he, he hasn't experienced it yet. But from 
The United defeat, he's going to know. He's going to know to better manage games. If you get a goal back at United at Old Trafford, you manage the game better. Don't give, don't give it to them or, 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 don't, or don't put it on them because that what if is a possibility. And that what if happened. Um, we were too greedy. We were too naive. Bruno Fernandes plays an incredibly well-timed pass. There's a massive gap there between Saliba and White. Sorry, Saliba and Gabriel. Only because our left-back, again, nowhere to be seen. So he kind of has to make that distance in case that pass is made through to Anthony, I think, or Ronaldo. I don't know. Who is that on that other side? Not really sure. Balls played. Um... Saliba, I don't know. I don't know how much blame you can put on Saliba because he just looks really uncomfortable. We're in that in that situation, in that scenario. I don't know how much you can expect from him because it's a great ball from Fernandez. Rashford's making the run. All you can really do is track his run. Um, I guess maybe you could say if he was positioned, if his body was positioned better, he doesn't need to spin so much when he's turning back. So, yeah, that spin for me is unnecessary. It slows, it slows him down by half a second. And, you know, Rashford's through and goal. Ben White really can't do much about it. Great finish from Rashford. Can Ramsdale come out, put him under a little bit more pressure? I don't know, maybe. But ifs, buts and maybes, <laughs> it's a bit late for those. So, look, United score their second, and I think that was a sucker punch, really. That was a sucker punch, and that is what forced um, my, uh, Arteta to make the changes. Um, but Ronaldo coming on, pressing in that final third, putting Ramsdale under incredible amounts of pressure, almost gifts the ball to United as well, but we manages he manages to make a save from Bruno, and that's what put Arsenal off. And that's what United are struggling to do right now. And the reason why they're struggling to do that because they don't have elite players they don't have players who do the hard graft off out of possession uh, possession and they're not going to be able to do that because um i don't think they've got real winners in that in that squad i think they've got a lot of personalities and they've got a lot of um how do you say divas they got a lot of divas but i don't know whether they've got players who actually want to win and who will do the hard and that's that's the difference between them, them and arsenal arsenal will do the half, hard graft because they want to win um, and we saw that for a good hour, 70 minutes maybe. But then we make the changes. Mosmifro and Ketty and Vieira come on for Odegaard, Zinchenko and Sambi. That changes the momentum of the game. That kills the game. That is where Arsenal really just drop to their knees. Um, because we throw the kitchen sink. We're 2-1 down. We're throwing everything at it now. And again, hindsight's... <sighs> It's it's hindsight, isn't it? Like, who's to know that we are going to concede another goal? It's all well and good saying now that we were going to concede a, sec a third goal if we put three subs on, three attacking players on with Emil Smith-Rowe and Ketty and Vieira. Um, but that's the risk you got to take sometimes in football. And Arteta takes that risk, wrong risk to take. Maybe next time when he's playing such a high-profile game, he will not take such a high risk. If you're playing someone like, with all due respect to them, for example, Everton in a week's time, 
maybe you can do that because you know Everton are less likely to punish you um, because psychologically they will be prepared to sit off and defend that lead. But United, on the other hand, they did this all game. They waited patiently. And because Arsenal were so wasteful in the opportunities that they created and the amount of football that they had to play, um, it was it was difficult. It was, um, yeah. Things... It was United's afternoon. They took their opportunities. And they got all three points. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the last goal again. Just this high line just kills us. Absolutely kills us. We are playing in the middle of the pitch. We are literally lined up in the middle of the pitch. Um, and I think it's... Is it Fernandez that plays that pass? I'm not sure who plays that pass in for Ericsson. But Ericsson is in. He is played onside. He's just onside. I don't actually know if he's played just onside. Let's have a look. I mean, I know they showed it on the TV. Let's have a look. I'm going to pause it as soon as he releases that ball. Yeah, he probably is onside, to be honest. Maybe by a fraction. But I would have liked to have... Uh, seen VAR check it but regardless that's a great ball put in for Ericsson he times that run perfectly and then he plays the ball to Rashford across the face of goal and again we're just beaten on the counter attack and I'm surprised I'm really surprised that these players did not see that coming or Arteta didn't see that coming when you have the attacking lineup of Rashford Sancho Bruno Fernandes. Um, who was the other guy? Anthony. And Ericsson, who was just so good at getting the ball from one side of the pitch to the other and who can punish you. Um, you know, they will end up punishing you. They will end up punishing you, clearly. We saw that. So... I don't. I don't really know what what else to say. What else to talk, what else there is to talk about the subs? Um, well, Maguire given a yellow card almost as soon as he comes on for taking down Jesus, but nothing is looked at when he takes down Inketia in the box. And th this is the issue that I have. You can't officiating needs to be done at a standard where it's equal on both sides. You need to look at these things if. If if Martin Odegaard takes down Christian Eriksen, it is the faintest of touches. It's a clip, right, in the middle of the pitch. One could argue that you should let those things happen. But if you can't let those things happen, then you need to look at other, other instances where players are taken out in the box, like um, Nketiah or like the Bukayo Saka incident. The one with Nketiah just infuriated me. We were 3-1 down, and I guess the game is dead then. But you still need to look at those. Nketiah manages to chest the ball, gets into the box, and he's taken down. He's literally clattered into by Maguire, and he knows what he's doing. He's got his arms around him. And I'm surprised these are not checked. Why are they not checked? 
Anyways, um, Arsenal make his late sub as well. Tommy Asu on for, for, for Ben White. Um, I don't know how much, I don't know how much I learned about Vieira. I guess there's a lot of confidence in this boy. He likes to have shots and, you know, we had three shots on target. One of them being from him very late on. Um, but he looks good. The kid looks good. He looks like he's technically sound and he's not afraid to pick up the ball. And that's what we needed in the first half. We needed someone to step up and especially in the middle of the pitch. And look, again, I'm not having a go at Sambi. I don't think he's a bad player. I just don't think he's ready to play these types of games. And I'm not sure why we didn't sign a central midfielder in the transfer window. That was priority number one, guys. Priority number one was to sign a centre mid. I'm kind of losing it right now because it's so frustrating that I can see this. You can see this, but you didn't get the job done. And I'm not going to be complacent. And I'm not going to be, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. We've got Lukonga. We've got Elneny. It doesn't work like that in this league. You cannot substitute a top-tier central midfielder for someone who is just mediocre at best. Elneny can do a job on the odd day. Lukonga can do a job on the odd day like he did against uh, Aston Villa. But it doesn't happen week in, week out. He doesn't have Premier League experience and he doesn't have enough minutes. Neither of them do. The reason why we were so excited as Inchenko came in is because he offers exactly what Tierney does. They're like for likes. You don't know which one to choose from. And we don't have that in central midfield. And if there's one thing we learned last season, it's we need a competent backup to party. We were linked to half a dozen of those in the summer. We failed to get any one of those in. Someone needs to answer for that. Because these these are the things that happen. We end up losing games. I'm almost, I mean, you can never be sure. But I know if we had a central mid, a competent central midfielder who knew how to do that job well, who didn't let the occasion get the better of him, who could do half a job, I, I know for certainty that we wouldn't lose that game 3-1. Maybe the worst case scenario, we'd lose 2-1. But we'd definitely get something out of that game. And it's just, it's out, it outrages me. Outrages me? It's an outrage. I'm running late. I need to um, check out of this room in about 20 minutes time. I still need to shower and stuff. Um, I was in two minds whether to record this podcast straight after the game, but it was like 2 a.m. And, well, um, my wife was sleeping. I didn't really want to disturb her with this... <laughs> frustration that's building inside of me. Look, I said it at the, at the end of the game and I got a, a lot of stick for saying this as well. I'm just going to pull it up as well. So I know I'm saying the right thing. Um, what did I say at the end of the game? I said that not really sure what to say after that defeat. Goals conceded from a lack of a presence in the middle followed by overambitious subs. That changed the dynamics of the game disastrous defeat I really hope we can put this behind us and I'm getting a lot of people saying it's hardly disastrous don't know what you're talking about 
Why are you overreacting? You're not a real fan. Blah, blah, blah. Like that doesn't get to me. None of those. When people start saying, you know, you're not a fan or whatever, or, you know, they have, if, if people have fair counter arguments to it, fine. But the reason why I said it, it's a disastrous defeat is because we can allow this to be disastrous. Maybe I should have worded it like that rather than saying disastrous defeat. But I'm, I'm just looking ahead now. And I think defeats like this, in the manner in which we lost it, where we dominated the game, where we should have got something out of it, but we didn't. And we ended up losing 3-1, not 2-1. That can be disastrous. It can be disastrous for the players mentally. And it can be disastrous for the momentum of the way that we've been playing football. Because this, this sport is topsy-turvy. It's one minute up, the other minute down. You can be playing, you know, the best football in the world, one game. And then the next game, you are like the complete opposite team. And that is what can happen. That's what can happen against, against Everton if we're not careful, if we allow this defeat to affect us mentally. And this is why this def defeat is so disastrous because it has all the hallmarks to make it disastrous. It's usually the one defeat that leads to a whole load of others. So let's see how they pick themselves up mentally. But I'm going to leave it there. I've got 20 more minutes before I actually need to leave here. Um, and so I don't really want to be late, although I feel like I am going to be late. But hey-ho, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know uh, what you thought of this episode. I know it's been me by myself. still been managing to ramble on for 60-odd minutes. So I thank you if you've been listening up until this point. Um, but do follow us on Twitter as well to find more content or if you want to hear more from um me you can find us on twitter at the arsenal or at ask therapy pod um, you can find the lads on twitter as well find james at james Payne afc and monty um at and this monty underscore official underscore or just type in afc monty on twitter we will be back thursday night where we uh, kickstart our Europa League campaign against FC Zurich. Um, but until then, have yourselves a very good week. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you then. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>